if you guys know me, uh, you know that I'm a nerd. Um, I wear, I like that about myself. I'm not ashamed of being a geek. Uh, but a few months ago, uh, Apple released uh, a new iOS update for iPhones that added a new feature, a new app called Screen Time. And uh, you guys maybe have heard of this. It's popping up on your phones. It's an app that tracks how much time each uh, day and week that you're spending on your phone. Uh, and so it will break it down for you, the different apps. It'll tell you how much time you spent on productivity apps. It'll tell you how much time you've spent on social media apps and even on uh, entertainment apps. And at first, I was like, this is really cool. This is a very neat feature until I slowly began to realize just how much time I was wasting on my phone every day. It was a little bit embarrassing, but I'm going to share it anyways. Uh, Facebook and Insta were taking up around two hours a day for me. And then the Bible app uh, was around a total of zero minutes being used on my phone. And uh, I, some pastor I am. <coughs> but you know, this device, and if you don't have an iPhone, you probably got a phone on you. This device that we all carry around in our pockets is some of the most powerful technology that has ever been created. Anything you need to know in the entire universe is right here on this phone. Anybody you ever need to contact is right here on this phone. And see, we live in an age where we are more connected and more accessible than we have been at any other time in history. And yet, for some reason, studies consistently show that feelings of loneliness and isolation are actually on the rise. Studies show that the more time you spend on social media looking at other people's lives, the more unhappy and dissatisfied you become with your own life. And you might have a thousand friends on Facebook, but when you're looking for someone to give you a ride to the airport, there's nobody to answer the call. <clears throat> People are becoming desperate for real, meaningful human interaction. People are desperate for a community that's not just about putting our best moments on uh, a drive-by display, but a place where it's actually safe to share the lowlights, the not-so-great moments, the difficult stuff. People are looking for authentic community. And for many people, uh, the idea of church being that place is laughable. Uh, churches and Christians have earned a reputation for being places and people of judgment and condemnation. When people think of church, they imagine catching into flames as soon as they enter the front door. Uh, they think of hypocrisy. Um, church to them is just not a safe place. And, and let's be honest, uh, some of the things churches have done over the years, um, we have rightfully earned that reputation. Uh, churches have made a lot of mistakes in the past. And, and I've told you this fact before, uh, that people are so wary about coming to church, uh, so skeptical that we often get questions uh, sent to our Facebook page. People message us questions asking if they're even allowed to come to one of our services. In a world that is desperate for inclusion and acceptance and community. Churches should be known as a place where everyone is welcome, where nobody is perfect and anything can happen, but instead people are skeptical of us, and I don't blame them. But 
If you've come to Fort City for any length of time, then you know something different about us. You know that everyone is welcome here, that we do not turn people away, and that this is a place where you can come as you are. And last week we looked at the story of a guy named Peter, uh, and we looked at the moment that he met Jesus for the first time, and how so much hung in the balance of that moment, that Peter couldn't know that just letting Jesus use his boat to preach for him would actually define the rest of his life. And now instead of Peter being a nameless, faceless, first century fisherman, we talk about him 2,000 years later as a father of the church. He turned that minute into a moment that mattered. And today we're going to look at another story, the story of how Matthew met Jesus. Matthew is one of the guys who actually documented Peter's story from last week. He's one of the people who actually witnessed the life of Jesus, and he is one of the people who wrote down what he saw happening. And when he did that, when he was writing down the book of Matthew, he did not know that his writings would eventually be compiled into a book called the Bible. He didn't know, that was not the plan. He was just writing down the story of Jesus. And he is one of the four accounts of the life of Jesus in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. It's all at the beginning in the New Testament. Four guys who, who researched and talked to eyewitnesses and were eyewitnesses. Uh, we call those the Gospels, the story, uh, the different accounts of the life of Jesus. And so we're going to look at this story. It's Matthew's story, uh, how he met Jesus for the first time. And for context, um, this is Matthew. Um, I got a ring going on, don't I? Sorry. It's a, me, 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 me. There we go. For context, this is actually Matthew writing down his own story. So he refers to himself in the third person. And when you're talking to people, that's weird. But when you write it down, it's a little less weird. So let's look at it. This is Matthew meeting Jesus for the very first time. Matthew 9. <clears throat> As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. And let's, let's stop right there. Sometimes when we look at these historical accounts in the Bible, it's easy for us to miss important details. Uh, without understanding the culture and the context that they were written in, we accidentally gloss over very significant facts. So, Matthew was a tax collector. And now, we have those people too. Um, the Canadian Revenue Agency uh, is nobody's favorite organization. They take our hard-earned money from us, uh, and so nobody really likes the CRA. I mean, maybe you do, but I, I, I don't really like them that much. But the people who work there are not bad people. They're just people doing a job. We don't think they're scum. They're not rotten. They're just people doing a job. But a tax collector in the context of first-century Rome is a very different thing. See, in those days, the government was the Roman Empire, and for the Jewish people of the day, uh, it probably felt less like a government and more like a ruthless occupation. The Romans ruled with an iron fist, and they used force and intimidation to ensure that the people they were occupying would not rebel. Uh, the Romans did some incredibly monstrous things to the Jews. Um, history records that the Romans would hang men and women, Jewish men and women and children on crosses lining the roads into Jerusalem. So the people in the context of this story, the people, uh, the tax collectors, uh, they're, 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 this whole story is in the context of people who would be smelling 
the rotting corpses of their brothers and sisters and families uh, as around the city. This was a very real, terrible existence for them. And uh, some Jews in those times would buy the right, would purchase the right to become tax collectors for the Romans. And it was their job to collect, uh, by any means necessary, uh, the taxes for their ruthless occupiers. And the only way these Jewish tax collectors could make money for themselves was to collect more than what it was that was owed. And so they were dishonest. They were greedy. And to all the Jews and to all the people listening to Jesus and watching Jesus, tax collectors were traitors of the worst kind. They were scum. There's almost no modern-day equivalent to how uh, these people felt about tax collectors. So Jesus most likely had a crowd uh, gathered following, around, following him around when he meets Matthew. And so uh, it says, Matthew tells us, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. This is a bold move. Jesus is risking a lot by asking Matthew to follow him. Imagine what this looks like to the people who are curious about what Jesus is all about. I mean, last week, he asked a couple of simple fishermen to follow him. And I mean, they probably weren't people's first choice, but at least they weren't traitors. This week, he's asking a tax collector, a monster, the lowest of the low. And I just cannot understate just how bold this move is from Jesus and just how very relevant it is to us 2,000 years later. See, so many people think that faith is for the righteous. That you have to have all your ducks in a row. That you have to start off with a clean track record. That you have to meet some sort of moral standard. And because of that, people avoid ever stepping foot in a church. They avoid ever praying or coming to church because they feel like they'll be judged, maybe by God, but by for sure by people. And Jesus knows that there are people watching him in this moment when he's talking to Matthew. He knows he's under the microscope, that people are analyzing his every move. And there, in plain view of everyone, he chooses Matthew, the tax collector. And, you know, what I find so interesting about this story is it's actually Matthew writing down his own story. And so Matthew uh, actually has the power to shape his reputation in this story. Uh, he could have downplayed his negative reputation. He could have said, oh, Matthew was one of the good tax collectors. He was one of the kind tax collectors. He could have even left out the fact that Matthew was a tax collector, but he didn't. He wrote down the truth. He wrote down what happened, that Jesus chose the most unworthy of people and asked them to follow him. And it wasn't just Matthew who could have suppressed this negative history. When the early church was deciding which writings, which letters, which accounts they were going to include in the finished Bible, they could have looked at the fact that Matthew was a tax collector and a traitor and a, and a monster to their cause, and they could have decided it was too damaging to include his account of Jesus' life just because they don't want to associate uh, themselves with somebody like Matthew. But they didn't suppress it. In fact, they put it right at the start of the New Testament. The very first account of the life of Jesus that you read about in the Bible is written from the point of view who somebody who was rejected by everybody who, who knew them. They were the lowest of the low, the scum of the scum. That is the person who you first hear about Jesus from in the Bible. 
right from the very start, from the very beginning. Jesus has been trying to tell us that everyone is welcome. That His love, His acceptance isn't just for people who have it all together, but that He lived, died, and was resurrected so that everyone could have a chance to follow Him, even tax collectors. You can come just as you are. And Matthew got up and followed Him. He got up and he followed Him and you can too. Nothing you have ever done or will ever do is bad enough for God to withhold His love from you. He meets you where you are at. In the midst of all of your mistakes, your shortcomings and problems, Jesus reaches out His hand and He says, follow me. So, Jesus meets Matthew. Matthew, uh, He asks Matthew to follow him. Matthew packs up his tax collecting stuff, whatever that is, and he invites Jesus over for dinner. Now, right there. And this is where things get interesting. It goes on. It says, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And Jesus isn't just hanging out with one tax collector now. He's hanging out with a bunch of tax collectors. And not only tax collectors, but Matthew tells us sinners too. Very important details. This part of the story I love. Because Matthew, at this point in the story, doesn't even really believe in Jesus yet. I mean, he's, he's most likely heard of him. He, he probably knows that Jesus is a rabbi or a teacher. Um, but Matthew hasn't come to any decisions about Jesus yet. He's still developing his opinion. He's still gathering information. He's still observing. And there's no way for Matthew to know who Jesus really is. There's no way for him to understand who this person is that's sitting at his table. This is an important part that Jesus allowed Matthew to belong before he believed. And Jesus became friends with him, ate with him, uh, drank wine with him. Jesus met Matthew's friends, his sinner friends. And instead of heaping judgment on them, he chose to enjoy them. And here's what we miss about the way that Jesus uh, interacts with people and chooses to meet people. We think people should change so that they can follow Jesus. And the truth is that people need to follow so that they can be changed. And that order is very important. We end up doing it the wrong way. We front load all the hard stuff at the beginning of our faith stories. You've you got to quit drinking. You've got to quit smoking. You've got to quit swearing. You've got to start serving at church. There's so much you've got to do, a big list of things to do before you can say that you're a Christian. So you can belong. But Jesus met Matthew and his friends right exactly where they were. Right in the middle of their sin-filled lives. Right in the middle of their mess. And he invited them to follow him. We don't have to change so that we can follow Jesus. We have to follow Jesus so that he can change us. And faith is more of a journey than it is a destination. And it doesn't matter if you're still at the starting line, you're new to faith, or if you're in the middle, you've been a Christian uh, a few years, or if you're like Murray back at the sound booth who's been a Christian for a hundred years. Note to self, do not mess with the sound guy. 
It doesn't matter where you are on your journey, as long as you're journeying, as long as you are following. <laughs> you know who hated what Jesus was doing in this situation? The Pharisees, the ultra religious people. They couldn't believe that Jesus would even associate with scum like Matthew and his friends. And he tells us, Matthew 9, 10, 11, continues the story. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? What's he doing? Doesn't he know that if he wants to be taken seriously as a religious man, that he can't associate with people like that? Doesn't he know what this will do to his reputation? Doesn't he know that this is going to hurt his witness? If you haven't grown up in church, that last word, witness, might be a little bit foreign to you. It's a very Christian word. Uh, it's a term that Christians use to describe being a good example uh, to the people around them. If you're a good witness, you are showing people what the goodness of God is. But if you've heard, if you've been around church a while, you've probably heard the term witness used as an excuse. Okay, I can't hang out with that person because it'll hurt my witness. I can't be seen at that place because it will hurt my witness. I can't go there or be with them because it's going to hurt my witness. And I just have to tell you, that is just pure hot garbage. It's terrible. Pure trash. You know what really hurts your witness? Being so scared of damaging your witness that you avoid ever encountering people who need Jesus. That you refuse to go places where people might be sinning. That you can't be a good witness if you only do it in the privacy of your own home on your own terms. And you know who didn't care about his witness? It was Jesus. And he was often, often accused of being a glutton and a drunk because of the people he chose to spend his time with. And I suspect, I don't know for sure, that he wore that rumor like a badge of honor. You know, uh, when six years ago, Doug asked me if I wanted to be part of the leadership team here at Fort City, part of the team that kind of shapes things and, and helps decide what church kind of church we're going to be, um, I was kind of shocked. See, at the time, I did not have a very good reputation. I partied a bit. I definitely drank more than I should have. I spent a lot of time in a lot of places that you would not normally find your average pastor. And I remember telling Doug that I might not be the best choice. That I would for sure do better, but I probably wasn't going to stop hanging out with my non-Christian friends. And that, that would mean pictures of me at bars or toga parties or around drinking games would show up online. And uh, that could be potentially damaging to the church's reputation. Now, I would know that I was being good in those places. I would know that I was being responsible, but that the pictures uh, could tell a different story to people who don't know. And I remember him telling me to never stop going to those places and to never stop hanging out with those people, that he trusted me and that if rumors started to fly and if my reputation came into question, as long as I was honest with him, he would support me. He knew that people who need Jesus are generally not hanging out in the parking lots of churches. 
that they are searching for meaning and happiness in bars and at parties and in dark, dark places, and they are just not finding it. Doug was telling me to choose mission over reputation. And that in the church world is almost unheard of. This is the person leading our church, you guys. Mission over reputation. And for Jesus, it was more important for him to be able to reach people like Matthew and his friends than it was for him to impress religious people. And I think that that is a good way to be. So Matthew goes on. He tells us that Jesus was pretty annoyed when he heard what the Pharisees were questioning him and and why he was hanging out with these people. And this is what he said. On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And this is where it gets good. It stings them good. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. See, it's easy to miss here, but Jesus is really digging at the Pharisees. He quotes Hosea 6, 6, which is an Old Testament uh, Jewish book, a uh, Jewish prophet who the Pharisees would know for sure. And Hosea said that God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And Jesus is quoting this to them. And he is saying, you religious people, all you do all day long is read, follow rules and read the scriptures. All you do is read and learn and read and learn. And, and with all your reading, you have still got it wrong. If you are confused as to why I am hanging out with sinners, then read it again. And this time, try to learn something. I desire mercy. I am here for the sick and the lonely, for the lost and the skeptical. All the things you Pharisees know, and yet you do not know this, that God's heart is for the sinner. A few years ago, uh, our Fort City worship team led worship for the community, community-wide um, Good Friday service that happened at another church. And uh, I had a friend of mine who was not a Christian. He was a good guy, lived a good life. Uh, a really, he's, he, you, would know, uh, you might know him. His name is Neil. Uh, but he didn't subscribe to any sort of faith. He was not a Christian or he wasn't really anything. And so I invited Neil to come and see us play at the Good Friday service. And uh, I kind of did not expect him to come. And uh, so the service started, we led worship, things really went well. And I was walking off the stage and down the aisle, and there at the end of the aisle I see Neil. And I'm just super excited that Neil showed up to church. Uh, and so Neil's got a big smile on his face, he's a really loud, boisterous person. And he walks up and puts his hand out to shake mine, he's like, Lucas, that was effing awesome! <laughs> and of course, like he didn't say effing, like he really, uh, he said the real word. And I was so sure that there was three little old ladies with little old lady hats on. And I was so sure that they were going to pass out, you know, start fanning themselves as swear words. But the last thing that I wanted in that moment was for Neil to walk into church for the very first time and to feel judged and to be made to feel out of place like he didn't belong. And so I didn't flinch. I told him, That is probably the best compliment I've ever gotten about my worship leading in my entire life. And to this day, that is true. That is the best compliment I've gotten. I didn't flinch at the F-bomb. Because he can't flinch. There is just so much judgment in a flinch. 
Jesus is hanging out with Matthew and these tax collectors and, and, and all these non-religious people and the wine is flowing and I, I guarantee you there are some dirty jokes being told and less than righteous talk is happening around him. And do you think Jesus is sitting you know, back with his nose up, rolling his eyes? You think he is acting all uptight about non-religious people doing non-religious things? You think he's huffing and puffing every time someone says something that's a little off-color? No. No, he isn't. And you know how we know he wasn't doing that stuff? Because he got invited back. He got invited to lots of parties with lots of non-religious people, with lots of sinners and tax collectors. He kept getting invited to their houses because they enjoyed him. People wanted him to come over whether they believed he was something special or not. He had room in his life for people that were nothing like him. Christian, listen to me when, when I say this. Is if all we do is hang out with other Christians in closed-door Bible studies, increasing our knowledge, and never spend any time with people who don't believe, then we have become just like the Pharisees. We have missed the point. Jesus came for everyone. His hope is for all of us. His message of peace and love is not just for the righteous. It is for the unbeliever and the sinner too. And it is especially for them. At Fort City, we want people to know that everyone is welcome here. That you don't have to have your life together to come here. That you don't have to be perfect to attend. That you don't even have to believe to be part of what we do here. Like I said last week, you can be a skeptic. You can fact check all the messages. You can sit during worship. Keep your eyes open during prayer. You can do all of that stuff. You can listen and learn and follow along before you make your decision whether or not you think you believe. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up here now. And we're going to sing a song together. And, and we're going to finish the service that way today. And I want to create a moment for us where we can slow down, where we can reflect on this story of Matthew and consider the invitation to come as you are. Now, I've said some important things I want us to remember, and there's something that I want us to try this week. So let's recap. First, Jesus chose Matthew, the tax collector. A man with a terrible reputation, a man who was dishonest and a traitor to his own people. And Jesus wanted this man, and Jesus asked him to follow. And nothing, what we have learned from that is nothing you have ever done, nothing you could ever do, nothing that people can ever say about you or make you feel can put you outside the circle of people that Jesus wants to invite to follow him. If you are here today carrying shame and baggage and tired, it might just be time to put it down. There is room for everyone. And some of you are here today and you need to know that you belong somewhere. Maybe you need to discover that you belong here. Second, Matthew started to follow Jesus before he even believed in him or understood who he was. Matthew took small steps. He didn't believe right off the bat. He didn't drop everything and give his life to the cause uh, uh, right at the start. When Jesus asked him to follow, he just put down what he was doing at that moment and gave him a chance, invited him over for dinner. 
And some of you here today just need to keep coming back. You just need to decide to come back on Sundays and participate and listen. You need to give this place a chance this year. And maybe for you, hearing might turn into believing. Third, Jesus was not ashamed to be seen spending time with Matthew and his non-religious friends. He didn't care if people gossiped about him or looked down on him. He knew that his message of acceptance and hope was for everyone, and especially those who didn't know it. He knew that if he wasn't willing to meet them just as they were, that they might never get a chance to hear the truth. Some of you are here today, and you need to decide to not be satisfied keeping your faith to yourself anymore. That there are people in your life, and maybe people on the outs- very outskirts of your life, that you need to be willing to talk to about your faith, that you need to be willing to invite to church, to invite to a community group. Maybe for you, it's time to step out of your comfort zone put your faith out there. And last, Jesus always, always, always invites you to come as you are. He will meet you right where you are at. But what you are going to discover over the next few weeks of this message series is that you may come as you are. An encounter with Jesus might just leave you changed forever. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you this morning for the chance that we have to come to this place to worship together and to look at your word and stories. And Father God, I pray that today if there is anybody in this room or watching online that's feeling shame and guilt and feeling, feeling uncomfortable like they don't belong, like they've done too much, gone too far, been gone too long, that you will remind them that you will meet them right where they are. That your Holy Spirit right now in this moment will be drawing them to yourself and reminding them that they are exactly who you died on the cross to save. And for those of us in this room, Father God, being Christians a long time, would you give us a renewed boldness to share our faith that we would not have fear of going into dark places, uh, uncomfortable places, that we not have fear uh, of sharing our faith with our friends who are far from you, but that, Father God, you would give us the, the courage, the boldness, and you would give us the words to say that so we could share this hope that we have discovered in you. I pray that in all that we do, that we'll be lifting your name up. 